Grace means nothing. All that being said, grace means nothing. And if you, that is, if you don't have the right understanding of grace, it means nothing to you. You can go down the whole path of Christian life and live, and if you don't have the right understanding of grace, you could go down the wrong path for your entire Christian life. If you have the right understanding of grace, grace means everything. It means everything. It's the one word that makes Christianity unique from every other religion. Grace is all bottled up in that one word. And when you have an understanding of grace, it changes everything for you. It changes how you make every decision in your life each and every day because you understand grace. You will start to say no to sin a lot more, and you will start to say yes to righteousness when you understand that your salvation, even your sanctification, is all built on grace, all founded on God's grace. It's only grace that saves you, and it's only grace that grows you for the rest of your Christian life. And Paul helps us to understand that in our passage, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And so go ahead and turn there if you're not there already. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. As we continue through this gospel message that Paul has given to the Ephesians uh, through verses 1 through 10, presenting out the gospel, Paul gives us the bad, which we talked about in verses 1 through 3. But then he gives us God's intervention when he says, but God, here's what God did for us when we didn't deserve it. And then in this passage today, in our 8 through 10, he expounds on grace. And then what our Christian life should look like as it is filled with grace. But let's read starting in verse 8. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as we start in verse 8 and study through that, um, you get for by grace. And we'll come back to grace because that's where we're going to spend the majority of our morning on grace. But then he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith. So faith, that word faith helps us understand how we can access God's grace. It's not just a head nod, head nod and a head knowledge of understanding that faith is what Jesus Christ did. It's us coming to him broken and humble and empty and weak, understanding that the way that we're trying to live life, it, it just doesn't cut it. We come to him with palms up, realizing that we need to put off our old self and put on Christ. It's that faith that we put on and realize that we need a Savior. And then he says, and this. And this, and when you look at that word this, you have to go back and understand what is he talking about when he says this? Is he just talking about faith because that's what he just ended with? But it's not just faith. It's the whole complete package here. It's grace, it's salvation, and faith. All of that, he says, and this, 
Grace, salvation, and faith is not your own doing. Right? He gives us these two negatives, right? You've been saved by, you've been, you, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, right? It's not your own doing. That's a negative. Just so you know, it's not your own doing. What else does he say? It's not a result of works. So it's not your own doing, and it's not a result of works. He goes back to focusing on grace. And as we look at the word grace, we must go back up to our last study together. We looked, and he gave us that parenthetical phrase up in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And so you start to feel good if you're reading that. If you're the audience, you're like, oh, he made us alive together with Christ. And before you could even get a thought in your mind of like, I'm all right. He said, by grace, don't go there. By grace, you have been saved. So I'm going to start it in verse 5, but then I'm going to come back to it in verse 8. By grace, you have been saved. He stops his flow of everything that he's doing because he wants his audience. He wants us to understand by grace. It's only by grace. Only by grace that you have been saved. We had no participation to earn it at all. But this whole section, verses 1 through 10, the start of this gospel presentation, it points to God, right? Remember I told you verses 1 through 3, he doesn't mention God, but he says, but God. God is the direct object. God is, is the subject of all of what he was leading up to with the bad news. To, so he drops in, but God. God is the one. The other part of this whole entire passage is God's grace is laced throughout all of this. It's about God. The whole passage is about God and what he's doing. But then it all points to his grace. And you can't fully understand God's grace, as we talked about before, without understanding where we are, our plight, our situation, our circumstances, apart from God. You don't understand God's grace without it. But when you understand that we're dead in our trespassing and sin, we have nothing going good for us, and only because of God's intervention then we can understand grace. And that's the reason why this is one of the most quoted verses. Even non-Christians can quote, quote this verse. But then you look at their life and it does not reflect this. And the reason it does not reflect this or it does not reflect Christ honoring works or that it is by God's grace is because they don't have a good understanding, the right understanding of God's grace. You're missing it. We have to understand that God's grace is a gift. It is a gift. We didn't deserve it. We certainly didn't earn it. It is purely a gift. And that's point number one for us this morning, that you and I need to understand grace is a gift. It's a gift. Went to a store uh, this past week, and as I was checking out, they asked if I would like to give a donation to the local elementary school because they were going to take uh, all of these donations and be able to provide shoes for kids that were underprivileged, that didn't have an opportunity to have shoes, that were in need of that. It's a gift. It wasn't because the kids had straight A's. They weren't giving this donation out because the kids had perfect attendance all through the year. It was purely a gift. The kid didn't deserve it. The kid didn't do anything to earn it. This store was blessing them with a gift to give them so that they could have something for Christmas. We need to understand God's grace is a gift to us that he gives us through faith. I put the definition down this way. Grace is 
what God has gifted to us apart from anything we could ever do on our own. Grace is what God has gifted to us apart from anything we could ever do on our own. It's not our own doing. We couldn't do it without God's grace. One of the ways that you can misunderstand God's grace is turning God's grace that's costly into cheap grace. Cheap grace. Cheap grace is when you have someone that looks at the gospel, looks at what Jesus has done, his work, his resurrection, ascension, all of that, and they say, I believe that, but there's no repentance. You continue to live the way you want to live. There's no transformation in your life. Your life remains the same, but you agree with the facts on paper. That's cheap grace. Cheap grace. Instead of realizing that your sin, my sin, is what put Jesus on the cross. And that's what Paul gets at in Romans 6. Because Romans 6, he's talking about God's grace. And so he even puts out this question for them as they are, as the audience is reading this and says, you know, because God's grace is so merciful and it's, it's, it abounds, should we just keep on sinning so that God's grace abounds all the more? And what does he say? By no means. By no means. Because you won't do that. You can't do that. If you've truly been saved, you're going to sin less because you realize what your sin did to put Jesus on the cross. And so when you have a right understanding of God's grace, when you have a right understanding that it's not a cheap grace, it is a very costly grace that costs Jesus his life, then you're not going to sin more. You're actually going to love God more. You're going to love Christ more. And you're going to sin a lot less if you understand the cost of grace. There's two things that we need to understand about God's gift of grace. And I've mentioned it, but let's put it down as letter A. Grace is undeserved. Grace is undeserved. Another often quoted passage, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oftentimes we quote that verse and we have that one locked in, but then we don't get to verse 24. Verse 24 is, 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 is great. We need to understand verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, verse 24, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's undeserved. We need Christ Jesus. If at any point you, you think that it's deserved, you have to look at your life and realize who you are. Just one sin disqualifies you from being able to stand in front of a holy and perfect God. One sin, let alone a whole life of sin. One sin, we're, we're, we're out. We need the gift. We need the undeserved gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in him and when we repent, then we get his perfect life. He takes our punishment on the cross. It's a great exchange. And we now can stand before God holy and perfect, not in our own doing, but because of the work that Jesus Christ has done. But we must remember how much we've rebelled and how much 
God can, can, can easily wipe us off the face of the earth. And he would be fully just to do that, but only by his grace that he does not do that. Romans 5a, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have anything good going. God didn't look at us and say, that, that, that guy's got potential. None of that. Only by his grace. That's why no Christian that understands God's grace would ever say and can ever say and truly fall into, God doesn't love me. You, you just can't say that if you understand God's grace, if you have the right understanding of God's grace. There's no way you can say that. Because what you're implying when you say, I don't think God loves me, is God hasn't done enough or that you deserve something and God owes you more than what he's given us. But when we have the right understanding of grace, we see how amazing it is. And we see that it's just unfathomable, that we don't deserve it. But it's only by his grace. Second thing we need to understand about God's gift of grace is that grace is not earned. Letter B, grace is not earned. It's not a result of works. It's not earned. There's many things in your life that you earn. Many of you are going to work right after this. And guess what? On the first of the month or the 15th or whenever you get paid because of the work that you do, you expect a paycheck. If they don't give you a paycheck, somebody's getting a phone call. Because you worked for that. You've earned that. If you compete in some competition, some 5K or, or run or, 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 you know, you get a, a project at work and you complete that, you earn whatever accolades come from that because you put the work in, you put the preparation in. You've earned that. God's grace doesn't work like that. Grace is a gift that you cannot earn. If you could earn it, it wouldn't be grace. It's no longer grace. Paul tells us that in Romans eleven six. 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It's not grace if you can earn it. Not properly understanding God's gift of grace was the biggest issue that the Protestant reformers had with the Roman Catholic Church. It's the biggest issue that they had. Because not only was it focusing so much on works and ceremonies and rituals and all of these things, but they actually used the same word, grace, to get that across. And even your Catholic friends today, some of you have Catholic backgrounds, the, the word grace is different than the word grace that you and I are using today as God's gift that's unearned and undeserved. Because when they say grace... Yeah, they'll nod their heads with you when you say, by grace we have been saved. They'll say, yes. But their, their view of grace is filled with works. It's filled with the seven sacraments. It starts off with baptism. You being baptized is part of the works that you get to be infused with God's grace. So when you get baptized, you're infused with God's grace. And then when your life is all messed up and in shambles, then there's other sacraments that you need to do to continue to get infused with God's grace, right? You have to work to earn God's grace by doing these rituals, doing these ceremonies, doing all of these things. And so it's the same word, grace, but when we're talking to a Catholic, 
you have to ask the question, well, what do you mean by grace? How do you obtain grace? And when they start talking about the works, then that gets to they're earning their way to grace. You and I look at grace and we see that it's only, only by God's grace. It's only a gift. It's only, it's not deserved. It's not earned. It's nothing that we can work for. Only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we have to understand that difference. It cannot be earned. If it's earned, it's not grace. We don't deserve it. Can't earn it. And we look to our response when it comes to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. There's no way we can boast about it if we didn't do anything. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul reminded the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You and I need to remember that we are saved by grace, undeserved, unearned. And if we're saved by grace, then there should be no boasting in our life. And men, we should act like it. We should act like it. We shouldn't be prideful. We shouldn't act as if we're better than other Christians or we're better than other non-Christians. It's only by grace. It's only what God did for us. When we hear another testimony, it should point to God. I think about just eternity. Eternity is going to be awesome for so many reasons. It's going to be perfect, amazing. But here's what's not going to happen in heaven. We're not going to walk around and say, man, see that believer over there? Let me tell you about his life, what he did. Right? We're not going to be strutting around saying, hey, let me, tell, let me tell you my resume while I was down there on earth. All of the fellowship, every conversation that we will have, all of the worship will go to God. Every testimony, every story that we hear from church history all the way down to our life and, and beyond moving forward, every Christian, every follower of Christ, we're going to look at that person and say, look what God did right there. Wow, look at their life. Their life was a mess. Look what God did. Man, they were in church all their life, and they, they, God, God revealed it to them that they hadn't repented and put their faith in, in, in Christ. Look what God did. Look what God did. That's where all of our boasting is going to be. That's where all of our boasting should be now. Look at what God's doing. Because we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's only by God's grace. As Christian men, we should be the most compassionate, patient, hopeful, and joyful people because of what God's grace has given us. Patient, compassionate, joyful. Would your life be described as such? Somebody that knew you, was talking about you without you there, would they describe your life that way? They should when we have the right understanding of God's grace. Those godly characteristics flow out of our life because we realize and we understand it ain't got nothing to do with me but God. It's a gift that he's given us.
grace doesn't end at salvation. It, it covers us for the rest of our life. Everything that we do is by God's grace. The fact that you can open up the pages of Scripture and you can study them like a Berean and you can understand God's word and continue to grow in your knowledge and understanding, it's by God's grace. He's doing that. You didn't become enlightened all of a sudden. You didn't get smarter. It's by God's grace he's allowing you to see. It's by God's grace that you and I are here this morning as Christian men. It's not that we're, we, we, we're, we're, we're tough and we're mighty and we're, we're standing strong on the faith and nobody can knock us off because we're, we're that confident, we're that sure. It's only by God's grace. Because there are plenty of people that sit in a room like this, plenty of men that feel like they got it and then all of a sudden they go wayward. Because it's God's grace that saves us, it's God's grace that keeps us. And it continues on through the rest of our Christian life. But this last verse, verse 10, here's another one. I keep pointing out these verses, but here's another verse that's arguably one of the most overlooked verses in all of Scripture. It's my opinion, but I think it's one of the most overlooked verses because many people quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but they stop there. They stop there, and they never get to verse 10. And verse 10 is our Christian life, and it's what we have to understand it's what God's grace through faith, what it produces. This is what it produces. This is what it has to produce because this is what God is doing. Let's read it. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship. Puema is the Greek word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. The other time that it's used in the New Testament is Romans 1.20. And here's what Romans 1.20 says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been puema made so that they are without excuse. So the only other time that is used in Scripture is talking about the world, God's creation, everything around us, everything around us. The world is evidence. It testifies. It bears witness to God being the creator. Every time we go outside right now, when you go outside and you start to see that sunrise and you see the beautiful sunset at nighttime, or you see the moon come up at nighttime. You see all of creation around you. The fact that babies are being born. What a miracle that is. The fact that our heart is beating right now. You have no control over that. All of creation points to there is a God. There is a creator. And God's going to hold everyone accountable to that. Because no one has an excuse to say, well, I didn't know. Creation bears witness. But here's the thing we need to understand about our passage that you probably didn't think about, but this was, is so cool to read and so just revealing to understand. The world is his creation. We, as Christians, are his new creation. So the same way that everybody can look at the world and say there is a God, what Paul is saying, we are his workmanship, we are his creation, the world should be able to look at us as Christian men and say, 
there is a God. Because I knew that brother before he was saved. And it must have been a God that got him to where he is now. Our life as Christian men, we are his workmanship. We are his creation. People should look to us and see that there is a God. Does your life reflect that? Created for good works, he says. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Every day that you're here on earth, there are good works that God has laid out in front of you. Not that you're going to go out and create or try to figure out or you need to go sketch out a plan or what that looks like. God's laid them out in front of you that we should walk in them, right, that we should live in them. That should be our life. God's created all of those good works beforehand. And he's called for us to walk in them every day that we're here on earth. Every day there's a reason that you're breathing, that you're alive. Sometimes I sit there and I get in these, that's interesting modes. Uh, I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking about stuff, um, sometimes too long, too deeply. But I got in a, a recent, that's interesting mode, and it was about lights, lights, like electricity. And sitting there thinking that these lights that we have here, even in this building, uh, are all operated by the flip of a switch over there. Right? Flip of a switch. I know, I know the tech booth controls more of that, but listen to me. Flip of a switch, you can turn on these lights in here. And that, that blows my mind sometimes to think that a flip of that switch can turn on lights that are close to it. It can turn on lights way over here. And then you know more about uh, electricity and wires and all that stuff. It, you probably, it blows your mind more often than it does mine. But every once in a while, I think about that. It's so easy for me to go make the connection of pressing a button, flipping a switch, and then all of a sudden, voila, all these lights come on. I didn't create the light. I didn't do any of the wiring. Somebody came before when they were constructing this building, when they were constructing a home that you live in. They wired the place up all behind the wall. You tear the walls down, there's wires all over the place. They're already laid out so that when I make the connection by hitting a button, it turns on all this. I didn't do any of the work. It was already laid out, already laid out. All I did was make the connection. Men, as Christians, we need to understand that there's good works laid out for your life every single day. God's already laid them out. You don't need to get creative. You don't need to go and think, like, how can I do, do this, this world-renowned uh, a mission for God? God's laid out things right in front of you. A lot of times they're simple, but we try to overcomplicate things by just doing, instead of just doing what God's laid right in front of us. And our job is not to do all of the wiring in our Christian life. He's laid all of that out beforehand. Our job is to make the connection, flip the switch, hit the switch, do what God is telling you to do, do what God has put right in front of you, and he's laid out all of the wiring behind the scenes, and it will come to life. And Christ will get the glory and the honor. But in order for us to do that, we need to persistently pursue Christ's glorifying works. That's point number two. Let's write it down that way. Consistently pursue, persistently, excuse me, pursue Christ's glorifying works. I mean, that's just amazing that we are his workmanship. He decided to use us as another form of testimony to him that he is the creator, that he is the father, that he is creator of all things. The fact that God sovereignly created everything, right? We, we grasp that. 
hopefully, God sovereignly created everything for a purpose, a plan that he had. He knows beginning to the end. He knows all of that. He made us a new creation in Christ. We become a new creation in Christ, Puema. We are his new creation. The same way he created this entire world, he created us. And he placed us in certain areas. He placed us in certain circumstances. He placed us in certain challenges in life so that he may get the glory because he's doing something there. Oftentimes we complain, why do I have to go through this? Why is my marriage bad? Why is this job that I have bad? Why, is, why am I in this situation that I'm in now? Because God wants you there because he has good works laid out for you to do so that he may get the glory for in your life and in somebody else's life around you. We need to make the connection. You don't have to try to fix your life and move it all around and move these pieces thinking you're doing something. You're not doing anything. God has laid out good works for us beforehand, and he has created us that we should walk in them. Many of those are right in front of you. You've had people challenge you to step up and serve. You've had people challenge you to, to step up and do something. Uh, you, you, you've lived next to the same neighbor for years and years and years and years, and they don't know you're even a Christian. All right, you, you sat next to somebody in the, same, in the same office space. You worked on the teams with them. God sustained you beyond layoffs, beyond all of these things. It's not because of anything great that you're doing. It's because God has good works for you at that job. But are you making the connection? Are you seeking to pursue Christ-honoring, God-honoring works every day at your job? Because if you are, he has good works laid out for you. You'll start making those connections, and then all of a sudden things will start happening that you didn't even think were going to happen because God has done all the wiring, so to speak, behind the scenes. You don't see it. You're just called to make the connection, and then voila, God does a work. But it requires you and I as Christians to make the connection, not just say, I'm going to ride this wave out as long as I can. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to do these things. No, we must pursue Christ's glorifying works in all that we do. You all have situations that you're in. Yeah, I get it. Your work situation, you might wish it was different. But God has you there for a reason. That people may look to you and see that there is a God. There is a creator because of what's going on in your life. So my question is, what are you doing with where God has you? The challenging circumstance that you're in, what are you doing with that? Right, the troubled marriage that you're in, what are you doing with that? The rocky relationship that you have with your kids, what are you doing with that? I get you don't want to be there. I get if it was your plan, you'd do something different. But God has something wired all throughout or behind the scenes that we don't know about. What are you doing to make the connection that God may get the glory? You're either going through the motions every day, trying to bypass where you're at, or you're pursuing Christ, you're, playing, you're looking at your life, you're looking at your day as you wake up and say, how can I make sure that the people that are on my schedule that I'm supposed to interact with, that I plant some seed somehow or another? 
this meeting that I'm going to? How do I, make, how do I plant seed? How do I shine light to these people that there is a creator, there is a God, and there is a savior for the bad problem that everybody that's walking the face of this earth has? How do I do that? We shouldn't seek to take it easy or coast because God is using us. God is using us. He has chosen us as his workmanship as believers that he may get glory through that. Philippians 2.13, Paul says, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. You don't need to get all creative. You don't need to do this big audacious plan of, of salvation, whatever you think. You need to do the simple things. Make the connection there, what God has placed in front of you today. Let's start there. Let's start there. You got a neighbor that you've been living next to. Don't think about, okay, how can I go save 10 people? Share the gospel with your neighbor next door. God's placed you there. There's good works right there. Persistently pursue Christ's glorifying works. Knowing he's, all, he's laid it all out. Works, 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 works. Oh, 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 don't say that word. Faith must have works. Because God is working. God is working. You're not earning salvation. We, 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 we've been there, right? It's only by grace. But when you are saved and you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, God is working through you that he may get the glory. Although Martin Luther was very critical about the book of James, he did say this about it, or he said this in general, but it references back to his problem with James. Um, he said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves, saving faith, uh, that's not, that never comes alone. It's full of good works. It's full of it. Full. Because it's God working in us. What does this look like in, our, in your life? It looks like daily thinking about it. Every day you wake up, every morning, before you, as you leave here, thinking about how can I glorify Christ today? What I, look, let me look at my schedule. Let me pray about the meetings that I'm in, the appointments that I have, the people that I'm going to interact with. How can Christ get the glory today? And, man, I get it. It's hard sometimes. It's challenging sometimes, these situations that you're put in. But you know who else is also at work in all of this? Satan. Satan, right? So Satan would love for you to focus on your desires, your calendar, your agenda, what you have to get done for the day, and focus on that and put it off one more day. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to, I mean, yeah, if you renounce your faith, that would be good for him. But just one more day, don't think about Christ. Just live your life. I can get you to do that one more day. That's all I was doing. Right? If he can focus on, get you to focus on your plan, your personal plan, your personal agenda, more than glorifying God with the agenda that God gave you, then that's what he's trying to do. So we must understand that and slow down and say, there is a purpose for what I am doing today. Everything that I am doing today, every person that I interact with, God has a purpose for it. Every single person, every single situation, God has a purpose for it. It requires us to be ready and willing to make the connection.
flipped a switch. God has done all the wiring for your day today. It's already laid out. You don't have to go make up some, some, some big plan. It's already laid out. Our job is to make the connection that God may get the glory. I mean, think about this question. When have you ever came away saying, I gave too much time and attention and, and resources to God? I, that was too much. Next time I'm going to scale back because that was way too much. Like, never. We don't say that. But we think about that every time we're faced with an opportunity to glorify God. When we're fa faced with an opportunity to stretch ourselves outside of our comfort zone. When we're faced with an opportunity to sacrifice our time and our agenda, we think, man, what am I going to get? It doesn't matter what you're going to get. It really doesn't matter. But honestly, you've never come away saying, I've given too much. Because God always gives us back more than we should ever even imagine, that we should ever even deserve. When we put forth that time and that energy and those resources towards him, he blesses us tremendously in some way. But then also think about it on the flip side. There's probably been plenty of times where you're saying to yourself, I regret that I didn't give more. I regret that I didn't share Christ with that person before. When we pursue Christ's glorifying works, we know that God is at work. Every time you do it, there's not a wasted effort. God is at work. And again, God is working. As I continue to say work, it's not you. God is working through us. He has created us as his workmanship. We are to make the connection. Jesus tells us the same thing in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. Make the connection so that God may get the glory. It's already laid out for you. It's all there. For some of you, that means stepping up in church. Stepping up in church. You've been asked to serve time and time and time again, and you think, that's somebody else. No, it's you that needs to make the connection so that God may get the glory. Because we're all called to serve. Some of you, that's going through partners. Time and time again, guys, guys in your group asking you, hey, you, you should go through partners. You should go through, oh, I don't have that much time. I, don't have, I can't do that. My schedule's too busy, all that stuff. If your schedule's too busy, then you need to chop your schedule. Because there's good works, not just partners, but discipleship. There's good works in that, that God may get the glory. For some of you, that's baptism. For some of you, that's being bold in your workplace. For some of you, before you go all out there, it's right at home. God has laid up good works for you at home. And while, yes, you may be good at doing it here at church, you may be good at putting on your, your Christ's honoring, Christ glorifying works at work, some of you need to do it at home. So that your wife, so that your children may be the beneficiaries of that. That they may see your good works and they may love Jesus even more. Make the connection. And Lord willing, that could bring them to salvation. That could increase people's love for Christ that are around you. 
God's prepared and laid out good works in your life. You and I need to be ready and willing. Our default should be yes to Christ. Yes to Christ. I'm not saying that you don't pray about it and think through it and make sure it's, a, it, 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 it's good as far as wise use of your stewardship and your time. I'm not saying you don't pray about it, but our default should be yes to Christ as opposed to let me see if it will work for me and then I'll get back to you. There's good works laid out in front of us. Make the connection. Let God get the glory. There was this uh, ESPN documentary called Four Falls of Buffalo. Four Falls of Buffalo, and it's about Buffalo Bills, uh, how they lost four Super Bowls in a row in the early 90s, two of those being to the Cowboys. That's irrelevant. I just don't get to say Cowboys won a Super Bowl that often, so <laughs> I'm going to say it now. Um, but the point of, or not the point of it, but one part of that documentary is about Scott Norwood, the kicker. So the kicker in Super Bowl 25, as they're playing against the Giants, eight seconds left, it's a 47-yard field goal, and he misses it. He misses it. They lose by one point. And so as he's going back, obviously he feels awful. The whole weight of the team's loss is on his shoulders. It's not all him, but that's, that's how he feels. He had, a, he had a chance to win it, and he didn't win. Well, they get back to Buffalo, and there's 30,000 people waiting. And as the team is arriving... They all start chanting, we want Scott. We want Scott. We want Scott. And Scott didn't want any attention. He's already feeling bad. And so they continue to increasingly get louder and louder and louder. We want Scott. We want Scott. So Scott comes to the mic. And they all start cheering. And they all start shouting, we love you, Scott. And he said, I thought I was going to get condemned. I didn't know what was about to happen, but this is the greatest love that I've ever had in my life because I just blew it. I blew it. But yet 30,000 people are saying, we love you. We love you. And he went on to say, I'm more motivated to come back next season and do it again. They lost, but at the time, his motivation <laughs> was, I'm more motivated to come back next season and be even better. But as I look at that, this audience full of secular people, they showed him grace. He blew it. He could have won a Super Bowl for them. But they showed him grace. And it, it, I couldn't help but to think about us as Christians. If you put your faith in Christ and you are a believer today, look at the grace that God has given us. We blew it. We blew it. But God, only by his grace that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn, he's given us another season, a newly created season full of good works that we may walk in them. It's such a glorious thing. And so, men, if you are not a believer here, I implore you, as I did the first time when we started this three-part series, surrender your life to Christ. You're reading your DBR today, 2 Peter 3. Don't count God's slowness to return. Don't, 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 don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Don't think that, hey, I, I got all day. He's giving you, he's being patient. 
But it also says God's going to come, Christ's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come like a thief in the night. And I don't want any of you to be hiding in shame. I want you all to be thinking, I'm out here doing what Christ would have wanted me to do anyway. I'm pursuing God-glorifying works in my life. So when he comes, whenever that is, whether it be in an hour from now, whether it be a week from now, whether it be a year from now, when he comes, you won't shrink in shame, but you'll be at peace because you're doing what he called us to do. We understand that grace is a gift we don't deserve. May we live our lives that way, and may God get the glory and the honor. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace, and thank you just doesn't sound like enough, but we truly do when we understand we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, and that is only because of your goodness and kindness to us that we can have new life, eternal life in Christ through faith. Thank you for preparing good works for us, that we, you don't hold us responsible for devising up a plan of salvation or, or even the number of people that we must call to Christ. You just tell us to make the connection. You have all of these good works created, lined up beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, I pray that we would be, we would be persistent and we would be zealous to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, knowing that you will make the connection, you will turn on the light in people's lives through us. May that be the case in Jesus' name. Amen.